0: Hey there, Pulmcasters, and thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we're going to be covering something that is sort of targeted to our namesake. That's right, people. We're talking pulmonology. Today, we're going to be talking about lung transplantation.
1: We recently had the pleasure of inviting Dr. Randy Young, a pulmonary and critical care physician at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. He was recently here giving a Grand Rounds lecture and on the current state of lung transplant medicine. It was a great talk. If you haven't listened to it already, pause the show. And check out our YouTube page or the link in the show notes.
0: So this show is going to be a two-parter for the first part, which is what you're listening to now. We're going to have a brief overview of lung transplantation core content, really a summary of Dr. Young's talk. And the second part is going to be an interview with Dr. Young and another, another one of our physicians, Dr. Amy Case. So stay tuned for that in the future. Without further ado.
1: So the first
0: human lung transplant was
1: performed in 1963. The recipient survived a whopping 18 days. Similar failure rates ensued over the next two decades until the 1980s, with the advent of cyclosporin and advanced surgical techniques. As of 2009, about 3,000 lung transplants
0: are performed each year worldwide. Wow. Well, alright. Well, let's talk logistics. There are really three major lung transplant procedures. Single, bilateral, and heart-lung. I suppose the question is, which patients are receiving these various procedures?
1: For single lung transplants, the major players are patients with end-stage COPD or emphysema, IPF, and sarcoidosis.
0: So for bilateral lung transplants, we're really looking at things like cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, and pulmonary hypertension. But interestingly, we're seeing less and less transplants for pulmonary hypertension. John, why is that?
1: Because new pulmonary vasodilator strategies are becoming more widely available and are changing the game in terms of survival.
0: Because really, remember that the primary problem in these patients is that they enter the RV spiral of death, which is really a poetic disease process. Shout out to Orrin Friedman, and the link to his talk from MCRIT is in our show notes.
1: Which brings us to our last cohort, the heart and lung transplant, which are most commonly either pH patients with RV failure or patients with some congenital defect leading to cardiopulmonary failure.
0: The bottom line is that patients qualify for transplant when they have some sort of end-stage lung disease with a functional debility despite maximum and aggressive medical therapy.
1: As a caveat, some centers are starting to push the limitation of who can and who cannot receive a transplant. Some of these indications are arguably outdated in the area of extracorporeal membranous oxygenation or ECMO.
0: Truth. You know, I really think that in the next few decades, we're going to start to see a lot more patients qualify for lung transplantation who would have otherwise been determined to be a patient who's going to have a poor functional outcome.
1: So let's talk contraindications. What would prevent a patient from getting a lung transplant?
0: So in terms of absolute contraindications, we sort of care about three things. And I say sort of intentionally. So malignancy, infection, and organ dysfunction, things that aren't expected to be amenable to treatment in the future. Things like metastatic disease, HIV AIDS, and end-stage liver disease. But really, we're starting to see a lot of centers push the limitations of these absolute contraindications. Heart therapy, for example, has been a huge game changer in patients with concomitant HIV AIDS and advanced lung disease.
1: There are other relative contraindications like age, poor functional status, obesity that should also be taken into consideration, but don't necessarily disqualify a patient from receiving a pair of lungs.
0: But remember that organ transplantation is not just a benign kind of one and done kind of process. It requires a long-term commitment with significant financial and social support. This means that social issues like substance abuse or a poor social system at home could theoretically disqualify a patient from being a transplant candidate.
1: What about organ allocation? Once we determine the need for transplant, how do these patients get them? There are essentially three key players in the transplant world, and they are UNOS, the United Network for Organ Sharing, which oversees the whole allocation process, OPOS, or Organ Procurement Organizations, which oversee organ harvesting, and ultimately lung transplant centers, where these patients finally undergo the transplant itself.
0: Let's switch gears to management. So perioperatively, the lungs are harvested from an appropriate donor. They're then cooled for storage. They're warmed for transplantation, and then they're transplanted into the patient.
1: There is a clinical trial underway testing something called ex vivo lung perfusion where the lungs are actually connected to a circuit, ventilated, and perfused for a duration of time prior to transplantation.
0: Theoretically, this is going to help us remove some extravascular lung water and wash out inflammatory cytokines that were deposited into the lungs from the deceased patient.
1: Really? Extravascular lung
0: water? I think Steve Urkel over here is trying to say pulmonary edema. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Moving on. So immunosuppressive therapy, super important because unlike the liver and kidney transplant population, the lungs are very tolerance resistant. This means that they're pretty prone to rejection. Immunosuppression has to be continued indefinitely after transplant. You know, most immunosuppressive regimens are going to contain some sort of combination of steroids, calcineurin inhibitors, other anti-lymphocytic agents like thymo, cell sept, but we won't dive too deeply into the specifics of immunosuppression here, but you can check out the show notes for some more resources if you're interested.
1: Perioperatively, we worry about things like hemorrhage and primary graft dysfunction. Basically, the donor lungs never working in the first place.
0: Once the lungs are actually successfully transplanted, we move to a different set of complications, rejection. So this is subclassified based on the time to rejection from transplantation. So there's going to be three different categories. The first one is hyperacute, then we have acute, and then we have chronic. So hyperacute rejection is going to resemble ARDS from a clinical standpoint with bilateral infiltrates and hypoxemia. Acute rejection, on the other hand, is often asymptomatic, and it's going to be diagnosed histologically from a biopsy. Chronic rejection, on the other hand, also known as bronchiolitis obliteran syndrome, or BOS, is going to be defined physiologically by a 20% drop in a patient's FEV1. It's pretty similar to other obstructive lung diseases like COPD.
1: Okay, let me see if I've got this. So hyperacute equals ARDS. Acute, asymptomatic, and chronic is obstructive lung disease. Yep. Other complications include opportunistic infections in the setting of immunosuppression and neoplasms, most prominently post-transplant lymphoploriferative disorder, or PTLD, a malignancy thought to be
0: mediated by Epstein-Barr virus. All right. Well, that's it for our core content review.
1: Remember our key points.
0: Number one, transplant candidacy. It currently requires end-stage lung disease, despite maximum treatment with no medical or social barriers to long-term post-transplant management. But these things are changing with the advent of ECMO and some daring transplant centers.
1: Transplant is coordinated by UNOS, OPOS, and transplant centers.
0: And the lungs are tolerance resistant, so we really have to focus on aggressive and long-term immunosuppression.
1: The most common complications include primary graft
0: dysfunction, rejection, infection, and finally, malignancy. Well, thanks so much, y'all, for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please, please, please head to our show notes. Listen to the talk from Dr. Young himself at poemcast.com. At some point in the future, stay tuned for that interview with Dr. Young and Dr. Amy Case about frontiers in lung transplantation in more detail. And until then, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.
1: All right. Unos, 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 unos.
0: You, you know, You knows. Like you know. <laughs> this is, is going to go on the outtakes of this episode. <laughs> please, please, please put it.
1: Put, you can put a couple. No. All right. You knows. Unos, the United Organ for Organ Sharing. You knows, right? You
0: knows? You, okay. Not Unos. All right. That's a card game. <laughs>
1: I'm mad at you for putting this in my part of the script. <laughs> All right, I'm getting it right right now. There are essentially three plea plique- <laughs> K. <laughs> All right, I'm getting it. Hang on. Unos, right? <laughs> unos. Here, unos. let me make
0: a little space for you. Put
1: Unos with a U. Well, I you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're just going to have to splice it in. Yeah, it, no, show. it's fine.